Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for staying for the last session. It seems like I have a lot more competition for uh, becoming the head of an actuarial, actuarial function than I thought. Um, so it's really exciting to see all of you guys here. Um, today we have Simon Lowe here with us, who's going to be giving us um, just a presentation on APN 106 and the proposed changes that are coming through. Just a bit on Simon. Um, he has 21 years of experience in the life insurance industry, as well as two years of UK pensions review work. Um, he is currently the statutory actuary and head of the actuarial function for three of Sunlam South African life insurance companies. Uh, Simon has been involved in several actuarial society committees and activities. He has re recently assisted with the rewriting of SAP 104 and APN 106 where he chaired the latter group. Currently, he is helping with the drafting of guidance for the heads of actuarial functions for insurance groups. He is currently studying part-time towards a Master of Arts in Applied Ethics at the University of Advertisement. So please um, help me in welcoming Simon for the last session, second last session. Thanks, so when I was asked, uh, am I looking forward to this? I, I always have to say no. Um, uh, I'm an actuary, not a public speaker, and uh, I prefer it that way, but uh, good afternoon and welcome everybody. I hope you're all fired up after tea for these final sessions on professionalism. I'll be kicking off with a run-through of the revised APN 106 on the role of the head of the actuarial function. Even though the title is quite specific, the application is general and should find broad applicability and interest to most of you. Do I really have to do this? Some of you might be thinking this right now. HAF is a somewhat ghastly acronym for the head of the actuarial function. Up to the last iteration, it was HACK for head of actuarial control, which some found more objectionable. But actually, I've gotten used to the term. I prefer retaining the word control in the title to clearly distinguish it from first-line actuarial work. But we have kept the terminology in the APN the same as in the draft prudential standards. To avoid offence, we laboriously wrote out head of actuarial function in every instance in the guidance note. However, in this presentation, I've been a little bit lazy and uh, I refer to half on occasion, so sorry if you're offended. And yes, for, for the hyper-observant, um, that really is the website address from which I copied this image. I didn't just randomly type some letters. Uh, that would be, well, unprofessional. I have chaired the subcommittee preparing the revised APN. It has been sometimes difficult and sometimes quite slow, but it mostly it's been really very interesting and of deep um, concern to me personally because of my, my role. Um, I've learned so much from everyone who's been in, involved and I thank them very much. I'll, I'll get to naming them shortly. The revised APN was issued to the profession for comment on only the 3rd of May, and I assume few of you have had a chance to read it yet. So today I will spend some time going through the rationale for the change in the APN and the scope of the review. The revised APN has been in development for two and a half years and there are a number of key changes which I will highlight. I intend to spend some time going through the sections, touching on some of the key points with, aim, with the aim of generating debate and eliciting your feedback. It is important to get your comment on this in the comment period because this is a really fundamental APN 
and it represents quite a big change, uh, which is in line with the big changes that have been brought about by the new prudential regime. My objective for today is to introduce you to the revised practice note. Perhaps it is your first sighting of APN 106. For those familiar and those unfamiliar, I hope you, to encourage your engagement with the practice note. It touches on many aspects of life insurance work, and so you should find something in there that affects the way you work. The current APN 106 is titled Actuaries and Long-Term Insurance in South Africa. The current iteration of version 5 has been in effect since December 2012. Despite the generality of the title of the current APN, the guidance was directed mainly at statutory actuaries. In the new version, we have been clear in the title as well as in the application to whom the guidance note applies. I'll get back to this later. There is no similar guidance for non-life insurers because of the relative newness and limited nature of the statutory actuary role there. This revised APN covers both life and non-life, which is a completely new development for the profession. Why the need for change? In two words, Insurance Act. I'm sure I do not need to tell you how this act, along with the Financial Sector Regulation Act, will fundamentally change prudential supervision of insurers in South Africa. For today's purpose, I will focus only on the change relating to the removal of the statutory actuary role and the introduction of the head of the actuarial function, which is now common to both life and non-life insurers. As an aside, uh, the new act calls it life and non-life, as opposed to long-term and short-term, and we're encouraged to adopt the new terminology. The HAF's role is described for the most part in Prudential Standard GOI 3, where GOI stands for Governance and Operational Standards for Insurers. There is a separate GOG for insurance groups. The acronyms are sometimes fun. I've heard uh, references to GUI, uh, to HOI, to GOGS and, and the like, but uh, I'll stick with GOI and GOG. There is a separate subcommittee working on the guidance for insurance group uh, HAFs, and presently APN 106 is for solo insurers only. There is a possibility we might append the guidance for the group role to the solo role, but that's still being debated. While the main requirements are in GOI 3, there are other references in the FSIs and other standards. Um, however, those other references are consistent with the references in the GOI 3. Initially, the Life Assurance Committee and Short-Term Insurance Committee developed this guidance independently. It is useful to note their respective scopes. The Life Assurance Committee intended the guidance to be primarily for the HAF, consistent with the statutory actuary focus of the current guidance. However, similar to the current guidance, the new guidance should also include other actuaries working in life insurance. Typically, the guidance would apply to the more experienced actuaries in senior roles. The expectation is that insurers would continue to see the HAF in the same light as the current statutory actuary, and that's an important point for most of the, that, that sort of led to most of the re retention of the existing guidance. Obviously, there is a need to clarify the new specific requirements of the HAF and to adopt all the new SAM terminology. 
actually is working as HAFs are likely to be involved in more than just is what is required by the GOI. The Insurance Act requirements are termed statutory in the guidance note. The additional responsibilities, notably those that are expected by the profession, are termed professional. However, there's no clear boundary between the two and, and the guidance reflects that. Cognizant of the statutory actuary's customer protector role, as well as the future conduct of financial institutions bill, there was a desire to include a section relating to market conduct or treating customers fairly. The short-term insurance committee's mandate to the, was to the point. A new guidance note was required to provide advice to actuaries in the half role based on the committee's interpretations of the relevant standards and professional responsibilities. I'm heavily indebted to the people listed here who helped to draft this revised guidance. I also want to thank, thank the members of the Life Assurance Committee and the Short-Term Insurance Committee for their guidance and feedback. Lisa Pines deserves a special mention for helping to merge the two guidance notes at the last minute. I'll get to the timeline shortly. I must also thank my employer for affording me the time to be able to work on this. If you're in the audience, uh, th thank you very much, Colin, I can see you. Um, but uh, yeah, th thank you everybody. The revised APN has been in development for, for two and a half years, as I said. A subcommittee of the Life Assurance Committee began work on the guidance in November 2015. At that time, the draft prudential standards were not publicly available. We initially worked off position paper 83 and board notice 158 of 2014. In September 2016, a draft APN 106 was sent to all life insurance practicing certificate holders for information and comment. Very little feedback was received, possibly because the draft prudential standards had not yet been released at the time. In March 2017, the Life Assurance Committee sub Subcommittee provided a version that was as complete as possible pending the release of the draft prudential standards. Up to this point, the Life Assurance Committee and the Short-Term Insurance Committee were working independently on their own guidance notes, but there was some information sharing taking place. Meanwhile, the Professional Guidance Subcommittee of the Short-Term Insurance Committee also started drafting their guidance, uh, their, they called it APM 403, in late 2015. They, they also completed a draft around about September 2016, which they shared with the Short-Term Insurance Committee and also presented at the Short-Term Insurance Convention later that year. In April 2017, the first public version of the draft GOI 3 was released for comment. This had several changes to PPN, PP83, and the APN had to then be reworked. We subsequently went through two further rounds of draft GOI 3 in August 2017 and now lately March 2018. Note that the current draft of the APN is based on the March 2018 version of the draft credential standards. If there are any significant changes in the final standard, we may have to go back and, and rework it. I'm not expecting any, but uh, that possibility exists. It was around September 2017 that the, FS, that the then FSB made a request for the actual society to consider combining the two into one guidance note, covering both life and non-life. The Life Assurance Committee and Short-Term Insurance Committee support this alignment. The non-life version had in the interim been scrapped, 
and had to, be, had to start from scratch. Fortunately, they accepted most of what was in the existing APN 106, and then all we had to do was add in non-life requirements into the life guidance note, which made my life a lot easier. The new combined APN 106 and APN 403 was approved by both the LAC and the short-term committee in April 2018. Given the differences between the two kinds of insurer within a single guidance note, the APN includes guidance that the actuary should exercise discretion when determining which sections of the APN apply in any particular company. In developing the guidance, we sought to balance a number of sometimes competing factors. I readily admit that the result is by no means perfect, and there's always the possibility for disagreement and alternative views. However, in the end, I think we achieved the right balance. Although we paid careful attention to the choice of words, grammar, and flow, there is room for improvement. I think we will also learn a lot as we actually grapple with the new prudential world over the next few years. So I definitely see that we'll review this guidance in a, in a few years' time. To touch on some of the considerations, there was the existing guidance for life insurers and board, as well as the board expectations, which had to be merged with the GRI requirements. We also developed the guidance recognizing its potential as a standard for peer review. The peer review requirement is, is currently out of the GRI, however, independent review is still desirable, and, and the peer review requirement may well resurface in future. Initially, PP83 required assurance on the accuracy of the TP and SCR, which is a far more specific requirement than ensuring overall solvency. The guidance thus required sufficient detail to assist actuaries in meeting this requirement. The GOI has subsequently been changed to opinion instead of assurance, but the work has not changed much. We aimed for practicable, clear, yet brief guidance that gave scope for professional judgment. At 22 pages, you may not think it's brief, but we do cover a lot of ground. A really tricky distinction was between first line or doing work and second line or reviewing work. The half must be independent of the first line doing work, yet the boundaries are not that firm in practice and the guidance needs to reflect this. I will now explain the key changes to the APN. <clears throat> Obvious changes are the replacement of the statutory actuary with the head of the actuarial function as well as the new prudential supervision terminology. The groundbreaking change, as I've said, uh, is the combine, combining of both life and non-life into one guidance note. It will be issued as APN 106 and APN 403. They will be identical. They'll just have two separate numbers. We won't have um, a new kind of guidance note called APN XXX. It's, it will be one in each uh, practice area. New sections were created for the opinions to be provided on the adequacy and reliability of the technical provisions, MCR and SCR, as well as on stipulated policies. The opinion on financial position overlaps with much of the existing APN 106, and the relevant parts were carried forward, but updated, rearranged, rationalized, and aligned with the new terminology. The HAF is required to provide 
uh, advice on, quote, the actuarial soundness of the terms and conditions of insurance contracts, unquote. This is the latest wording for, for product design and pricing. The requirement is consistent with that of the Long-Term Insurance Act. As a result, the guidance on this is largely unchanged from the existing guidance. Similarly, the existing guidance on allocation of profits or policyholder bonuses has been carried across to the new APN. The existing APN has several paragraphs relating to policyholders' reasonable benefit expectations. These remain relevant for life insurers, and the advice is valuable. Thus, they were also carried through, but grouped together under the banner of treating customers fairly. Two sections were removed entirely because they were deemed no longer relevant or required, namely those on derivatives and the actuarial committee. The section on actuaries as directors is seen as more general professional guidance, not specific to insurers, and this was also removed. A new section has been added to the practice note relating to the HAFS obligations as set out in GOI 6 on transfers and other significant transactions. I will touch on this later. What I haven't shown on a, on a slide here is some of the things that we did not bring into the guidance. So there were some, there are quite a few requirements uh, for which we have no specific uh, guidance in the, in the practice note. And this is because either it's not within the actual society's uh, mandate to provide guidance on such matters, or it was not thought necessary to provide guidance, for example, because the prudential standard was, was clear enough. Examples are for exa uh, such as opinion on the accuracy of the liquidity shortfall indicator. We didn't think that was necessary to provide guidance. It's pretty clear what needs to be done. Um, systems of risk management control, staffing, remuneration, and assessment of the function. I mean, remuneration is, for example, one area where the actual society can't provide guidance. Now that we have covered the genesis of the practice note, I will run through the sections of the note. Um, it seems obvious, but broadly the APN com comprises the front page, the definitions, and the body of the, of the guidance. In addition to the guidance in the APN, a supplementary note has been produced, which provides a useful extract of the applicable prudential standards with a cross-reference to the sections of the APN. The supplementary note is provided for information and does not form part of the guidance itself. You are encouraged, however, to refer to the original sources. I would like to draw your attention to the category of actuaries to whom the note applies. This is, quote, heads of actuarial function who perform their duties in terms of the Insurance Act, including actuaries who support or review this function, or who act in a similar capacity. Additionally, actuaries responsible for the underlying work on which the head of the actuarial function relies should duly consider this practice note, unquote. So you can see that if you're working in life insurance, you're pretty much touched by this in some shape or form. Arguably, yeah. So please, I will all encourage you to, to, to read this uh, and take notes, to think about it and how it might apply to your particular work and, and to provide us with feedback. 
The definition section we carried across from the existing APN, we felt it was quite useful and also to update for the new SAM terminology, which some might not yet be familiar with. Uh, the sections of the APN 106 are shown here. They are roughly ordered in line with the sections in GOI 3. I'm not going to read through them all now. Uh, I'll take you through some clusters of sections in the following slides. The introductory sections cover guidance on matters such as applicability, which I've touched on, the general expectations, as well as appointment and termination. Two related areas that caused much debate were the subjects of delegation and reliance. It is clear from the GOI that the HAF is one person. However, this does not preclude delegation of parts of the work to appropriate actuaries. But the final report, opinion, or sign-off remains that of the one named HAF. In some cases, the HAF will need to place reliance on the work done by other professionals such as finance, compliance, risk, or investment. This is permissible and such reliance should be disclosed. The HAF may delegate work and rely on others, but it is very important that the HAF remain sufficiently independent of the first line actual work done. The role is one of oversight and independent review. As I stated before, we made a broad distinction between the statutory responsibilities as set out in the GOI and the professional responsibilities, but there is often much overlap between the two. The HAF is expected to apply their judgment in determining whether the particular task or report relates to statute or otherwise. There was also some concern about the onerous reporting requirements and how this overlaps with the existing reporting. Here we are talking about documents presented to the board. Clearly there are already numerous such reports and we didn't want to add to that burden. We don't necessarily see an, a new set of documents being provided. However, the HAF, sh the HAF should ensure that all the required matters are addressed in some appropriate way at some appropriate stage. And that, that work should be attributable to the HAF. The form and content of the reporting is left up to the individual actuary to decide and is not prescribed in this guidance note, but please do take note of the requirements in SAP, 1, SAP 901, in case you don't know that. Section 4 on technical provisions, MCR and SCR reviews, is a key new section in the APN. Initially, the GOI referred to assurance, as I said before, along the lines of external audit. The guidance was thus developed with that in mind. However, uh, the requirement is now for an opinion, but we feel that the work provided is to, to the work needed to provide an opinion on the adequacy and reliability is quite detailed, and therefore the guidance needed to be very specific. We've mimicked the sections in the GOI and covering we cover guidance on matters relating to data, assumptions methodologies and models, as well as the comparison of actual to expected. It is one thing to say that an insurer is safely solvent. It is quite another thing to say those specific numbers are accurate, and the guidance has to reflect that. Bear in mind that the guidance is there also to protect the profession as well as to provide guidance to individual actuaries. If all that sounds daunting, well, it is. However, you will see that the guidance is peppered with phrases like consider where relevant, or for example. 
We recognize that such guidance cannot be prescriptive or cover every possible situation. Thus, we have tried our best to phrase it in a way that allows for suitable judgment by the individual actuary. I'm not going to go into further detail on this section. I encourage you to go through it carefully and consider the implications. The thinking behind section five, in contrast to the previous section, is that the previous section relates to the opinion on the accuracy of TP and SCR, whereas this section relates to oversight and advice relating to the overall financial position. Typically, the financial position is understood in terms of the published reporting basis, but it could also be seen in terms of the prudential supervision reporting basis or other bases, such as economic capital. There is some overlap between the sections, but the aim of the TP and SCR opinion is quite specific, whereas the aim here is rather more general. We have included economic capital here, which we define as, quote, an internal risk-based assessment of the capital required by an insurer to withstand a loss in economic value over a specified time period with a specific confidence level calibrated to the risk appetite of the insurer." Unquote. The similarities to ORSA should be obvious. Finally, we have retained the existing guidance around the risk monitoring, which we feel is better situated in this section and we also relate it to the work of the ORSA. So quite a lot of ORSA work occurs in, in Section 5. The HAF is required to provide an opinion on the asset liability management policy, the underwriting policy, and the reinsurance and other forms of risk transfer policy. This is a new requirement in the guidance, although arguably the statutory actuary would have had some responsibilities here as well. In our deliberations on the asset liability management policy, we concluded that most of the existing guidance on investments and derivatives is no longer relevant or necessary. These elements have thus been removed. Underwriting policy review was one challenging area, partly because there was no precedent. We have included some factors which we think, uh, which some factors for the HAF to consider, which we think should be intuitively reasonable. However, we really encourage you to review that and give us your feedback on those, on those factors. Please note the new requirement from the GOI to, pro to provide an opinion on the adequacy of the reinsurance arrangements. This is distinct from an opinion on the policy, but on the actual arrangements themselves. The practice notes lists quite uh, some factors to consider in making this assessment. The theme of sections eight to 10 is customers. These cover product design and pricing, reasonable benefit expectations under the heading of treating customers fairly, and bonus allocations. Most of it is carried forward from the existing APN, and there should be nothing controversial here other perhaps than the use of the treating customers fairly uh, title. As I've said before, the TCF section is really existing guidance on reasonable benefit ex expectations, which remains relevant and slots under the TCF outcome. The TCF reference further allows for possible future additions which might be required under the Future Conduct of Financial Institutions Bill. The final section, you'll be glad to know. The final section of the APN relates to opinions on transfers and other significant transactions as required under GOI 6. 
It is new compared to the existing APN 106. However, some of you may be familiar with APN 108 relating to the independent actuary's report on transfers. However, the requirement here is for the half of the affected insurer to provide an opinion to their board on the soundness of a, tran of a transfer for that insurer itself. You can see that that's distinct from the independent actuary. However, there's, an, there's still informative guidance in APN 108, and the half is encouraged to consider that guidance note when doing the work here. As an aside, we may well review uh, APN 108 in due course. It, it looks like some of the elements of APN 108 are, are a little bit out of date. A new development for actuaries is the need to opine on other significant transactions. While these could be seen as falling under the statutory actuaries ambit, they are now made more explicit. The specific transactions referred to relate to those given in the Companies Act, and I list them there, disposal of a greater part of the assets, amalgamation, scheme of arrangement, or compromise with creditors. I will not elaborate very further on these specific items because the guidance is quite high level. The APN covers the GOI requirement to consider the soundness of such transactions. Uh, soundness here we refer to as the prudential supervision basis. Importantly, it was also felt that there is a professional obligation to consider the impacts on policyholders, and that is also now written into the guidance. So the HAF will have both the statutory and the professional responsibility in these instances. The APN is open for comment until 15 June. Please send your comments to yours truly uh, at the email address there. Um, we're looking forward to your comments, questions, concerns. Uh, we're also looking forward to your praise. <laughs> Although we cannot include comments after the 15 June period, please keep them coming because, as I said before, there may well be a review in a few years' time. And also, as you start to work with the guidance in your day-to-day -day work, new issues and questions will come up. We are aiming to release APN 106 version 6 by the end of August with an effective date of 31 August. This effective date is likely to be two months after the effective date of SAM. However, we don't feel that this will present a material problem for most insurers uh, because of the exposure you have already to the draft version and uh, also the quite short overlapping period. As I said before, I envisage a review of this in a few years' time. So that's all from me uh, for now, and I look forward to your questions and discussion, but before you ask me, let me ask you about the APN. What do you find useful? What do you find confusing? What, is it sufficient? Is it overkill? If someone asked you, how would you demonstrate compliance? Thank you. Um, I, are there any questions from the floor that we can take? Um, one from me quickly. Um, just looking at the timelines of when you guys were working on this revision, um, it does seem that uh, everything that happened in the CASA world um, 
was in that time. Were there any considerations with what was happening there, how it was treated by the psycho body, and uh, whether or not there should be allowance for a bit more guidance in this APN? That's a good question. Um, actually, the answer is no, uh, quite, quite bluntly. I mean, I think the, that, that sort of happened quite towards the end of the period. We'd, we'd really written much of the guidance before. I think, fortunately, we, we have a bit more of a history of, of, of uh, the, the, the kind of ethical and professional guidance notes. Uh, I'm not too familiar with what's, what's available with, with, within SICA. We did consider the guidance in the UK, um, the actuarial guidance in the UK and uh, Australia and Canada when formulating this. But yeah, I mean, that, that is something always to, to bear in mind. Any more questions from the floor? All right, cool. Thank Great. you so Thanks. much, Simon. Okay.